in association with nzhikes.co.nz. It's bushwhacked, not the wrestlers. Lighthearted tales of adventure from Aotearoa, New Zealand. Dear listeners, welcome back to Bushwhack, Not the Wrestlers. I'm uh, one host, Cam Clark. As always, my co-host, Mark Wilson. Mark, how are you? Kia ora, namaste. And of course, a big welcome to my buddy there, Cam, as we are on our 10th episode. And I know for sure, being the chief editor of what goes on here, he's going to chuck in a massive round of applause for ourselves. <laughs> We'll just wait for that to finish. Give it a moment. It's still going. Okay. All right. That's probably enough. I don't know how we're going to do any more episodes. I'm out of fingers to count on. I don't know. That is true. (laughs) That is true. Um, Hey, listen, I've got a, I've got a special topic of, uh, of uh, talk for our, our opening banter here. Uh, I had some comments about uh, the, the delightful difference between what a New Zealander would call tramping and what a North American would call hiking. Um, now, just clarifying for all our listeners at home, tramping means hiking. Okay? <laughs> the word the word tramp means tra- traveling in this, in this context. Um, very important uh, to avoid some cultural misunderstandings there. <laughs> yep. yep. And uh, M- Mr. Clark is referring to a... Uh, possible research corner uh, item why <laughs> why do we call it tramping well and it feels like it's it's having its day the old tramping word it's it doesn't seem to be said as much i've noticed that more and more people in new zealand are saying hiking now instead of tramping mm. i think it's just mm. the uh the the international influence um i would say and i'm not going to do a research corner on this but i'm going to go out on a limb here and say it's got something to do with what being a tramp is now the uh the modern sense of being a tramp is something that you know a disapproving mother calls their friends calls their son's girlfriend or something um but a tramp is also a, a homeless person particularly one that would travel around a lot so I'm thinking, my theory is, is that the word tramp comes from that, like, uh, think like Great Depression, traveling homeless people, lovable tramps, just out in the world, wandering around. That's what I think. So it's one of the be- a thing, well, one of those things where you don't really want to think about it too much, because no. you're saying you want to go and be homeless. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that in uh, in today with today's modern sensibilities, it might not be uh, you you don't really like the origins of the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. There, there you, you go. go. Now, we know. speaking of research corner, I do actually have a research corner segment for you. Welcome to Research Corner. Excellent. That was the music. <laughs> now, uh, welcome everybody to Research Corner. Uh, the topic this week, it's a holdover from last week. Um, now, we don't expect you to do the research, but when the question gets asked, um, old Mr. Clark here is uh, is here to find out the answers for you. Now, the question the was asked. The wise and old. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Venerable. Uh, now, the question was asked, what is the difference between a cyclone and a hurricane? And uh, I went out on a limb and my prediction was it had something to do with the rotation of the storm. Uh, I found out that it is both basically a regional thing. So any tropical storm, when it gets powerful enough, is called a tropical cyclone, Right. Now, of those cyclones, in the South Pacific Ocean and Indian Ocean, where we're located, 
we don't give them a fancy name we just call them cyclones uh which i think is related to how we don't give our place names fancy names either you know south island north island southland northland just very very obvious naming conventions now after some research I discovered that the reason they're called hurricanes is because it comes from the Spanish for cyclone called huracan. And generally, in uh, any storm that originates in the North Atlantic, Central North Pacific, or the Eastern North Pacific, they use the term hurricane because of the history of Spanish colonization in North America. So There you go. There you go. So the first people coming over were speaking Spanish, and they were the first people in the storms in the ships and so the name just stuck hurricane and uh also just out of interest if you're in the northwest pacific that's where you get the term typhoon which comes from the arabic and hindi word tufan which again just means cyclone so hurricanes cyclones and typhoons they're all the same thing and um i don't know if you've um been keeping up with the uh, play over here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, Cam, but we've had a couple of uh, typhoon, <laughs> hurricane, cyclones. Yeah, how's that um, all going now? Me personally, um, South Island has had some pretty amazing facts that have really just not been that amazing. Uh, one of them being that Otago's had its driest summer ever. Wow. So that would be a good fact if there wasn't a uh, a massive hurricane that rolled through a couple of weeks ago. Oh my god, that, the, the uh, irony of it, that the the flooding in the north, but drought in the south. And I mean, if if you're a, a climate change denier, <laughs> um, like what else needs to happen? <laughs> Man, it, it's and like you look all around the world and just every sort of two or three days there's something going on that's just a real catastrophic major thing there was snow in los angeles yeah like fires in australia every year now yeah yeah and floods i mean floods we've had this the catastrophic catastrophic floods where like i've i've been used so used to these fjordland numbers when it comes to rain and i'm talking a storm which in 24 hours is producing 300 millimeters of rain mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that is a fair downfall of rain uh, and more than that has been produced in these storms now of course fjordland is one of the least populated parts of the planet let alone just in new zealand um, and these storms have happened where there's massive populations of people hastings is a major city in the north island yeah and uh you're, you're having 90 millimeters of rain even 100 millimetres of rain in one hour. Yeah. Like... Yeah, and, it, and it's not even the water. It's all the stuff that the water brings with it. Like I read yeah. a, I read an article about a dude whose... Uh, his house is just... Or his property is just covered in like scrap wood and dirt and silt. And like yep. they're even talking about like it won't be... You won't be able to... Like there's farmers that won't be able to farm their land for like 10 years just because the yep. soil makeup is so different now because of the flooding. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and you've got places, uh, a real tragic situation is like the apple growers and a lot of um, the apples and other things come from the Hawke's Bay and the waters came through and left and the apples are still on the tree. But uh, those apples have had water which could have, well, most likely had sewerage and all sorts of other nasty things. Um, I mean, people's sheds got flooded. You've got pesticides and all sorts so you've got these apples that with a rub would look perfectly fine but you can't sell them no yeah the problem um, of how do you pick them because the orchards floors are now just silt so it's all mushy muddy stuff that you can't put a ladder in because yeah (laughs) yeah because that would be too easy wouldn't it (laughs) jesus it's not just oh your your feet your feet are wet for 24 hours Mm. right like yeah Mm. Oh, that's crazy. There's been some big changes to some people's lives. And um, there's still a New Zealand government who uh, is sort of going, what are we going to do? You can tell, and I feel for them. It's, this is not a, um, 
you know, a blue or a red situation here. This is just, man, that was way more devastating than we ever thought there, something could happen. Because, I mean, there's Hastings is such a catastrophic event, but it's only part of it. You've got Northland, Auckland's been suffering as well. Yeah. So, um, and then, like I said, down here, we've got Otago that's had the driest summer it's ever had, mm. um, which would be a major uh, point if there hadn't been all the other catastrophic things happening. Yeah, unfortunately, the uh, the answer might just be stop building in flood-prone areas. Like, it's just, you take the risk and then that's it. Like, yeah, sucks. But then there's um, there's the things like, there was one point where they worked out the water had gone up 13 metres. And, like, it, it's it's kind of like with Japan knowing they have earthquakes they design these buildings which can move around and everything mm-hmm. but if they had a, a nine the buildings can't handle that because that's just so catastrophic that nothing can handle it no nothing can handle that. It's that yeah it's that sort of thing like what what else do we have coming around the corner um hmm. when it comes to the weather well considering the christchurch rebuild is still ongoing i mean what what mm. hope what hope is there for uh, for mm. the other cities with this flood damage, God. Sorry, I'm thinking very soon we should probably move on to something a bit happier. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay. Well, let's. Sad here. Okay. Well, yeah. Let's move on to the happy I mean, topic you can of say how. The point, if you want. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> we'll move on to the topic of how injured you are still. <laughs> yep. Is that well, what no, you want a, to move that's on a, to? That's a happier. That's a happier thing. So let, let's let's roll roll the um, intro. <gasps> All right, Mark. Can we please have a Mark injury update? <laughs> uh, right, well, Cameron, um, we've had a bit of a revelation. Okay. Okay, that's a bit of a whoa, Bill and Ted moment where, and all, everyone knows what that means now because there was a remake of the movies. But uh, sorry, I'm going off subject here. I went and saw a pain management specialist. Oh. So... Up until this point, I'd seen a, a sort of pain surgeon specialist, I guess you'd call him, and he's the guy who jabbed all sorts of things into my spine, um, and that was lovely. But this guy is more the managing your way back into the real world and whatnot. And what he came up with, his conclusion after reading all the notes and having a good old chat with me, was that it's possible, when I had my accident on the wharf in uh, April... I actually slipped a disc or partially slipped a disc and of course because of everything else that was going on it was never actually focused on as far as backs go until a lot longer in the journey and then by then the uh, partially slipped disc would have actually um, returned to its normal self and wouldn't look out of place oh Uh, and so it's been just because everything took so long because of what's going on at the moment with COVID and everything else. Um, it wasn't initially looked at my back. I had scans on my abdomen and my hip, but it wasn't until a few months later that I actually had my first scan on my spine. And that's when uh, they found that there was bulges in my disc. And that's what led to the steroid injections and so on and so forth. So you had a slip disc they think, and then by the time they scanned it, it had healed itself, but in a horrible way. Well, no, more it had, it had just gone to a point where it wasn't going to show up on a scan. It wasn't obvious. Ah. It would have just gone back to the way. But you've got to remember also my spine is codfish vertebrae, which looks munted anyway. So, um, so yeah, it, it made sense because with my hip, when you're looking at... Um, Tissue damage. Tissue damage is your sort of one to three year recovery time. And then your nerve damage is your sort of three to nine years. And the tissue damage is nearly all healed. So it's like the hip's just doing its thing, running its course of repairing itself. And I just happened to uh, slip a disc Uh, just for fun as well. Oh, God. So, So what's the latest prognosis then? Well, at least this way, we know that the two things are coming right 
as they would normally. It's oh. not one major thing. It's just two things that unfortunately were happening um, that coincided with themselves. So the uh, the slip in the disc is taking as long as it usually takes to heal, and so is my hip. Um, oh. Now the nerve thing is, is always going to be a bit of an issue, uh, but also another thing that was explained to me was when you slip a disc, you can entrap a nerve, and one of these nerves around where I've had the majority of my pain can swell, and people can mistake it for a hernia. Get out of here. So it's like I'm hearing all of this going, oh my, this is, this. everything is just making sense now as to why you would have, because the doctor, having a doctor and a um, ultrasound expert, whatever you want to call them, say, yeah, you got a hernia, then going to the surgeon a couple of months later and them saying, no, well, according to our, uh, our CT scan, you don't. Well, that's the amount of time it would have taken for that nerve and the disc to calm down. Therefore, that lump, which was the nerve, wouldn't have been there. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, huh. medical stuff. Medical stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, that's really good that you've got like yet another diagnosis and that the healing's healing, right? Like you're on the way. Mm. Mm. All right. And it's a it's sort of a, a way of looking forward. And um, the big challenge coming up um, is getting sort of back into society, so to speak. Yeah. Because um, my society is so far away from the normal society. Because uh, Tiano, it has beauty in, uh, in masses, but it doesn't have people in masses. So there's not a lot there. So yeah, I don't want to go back there and then have to drive all the time. The lack of people is directly related to the uh, abundance of beauty. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I think the majority of people in Aotearoa, New Zealand, are allergic to beauty. Because <laughs> I can't see any other reason why they wouldn't live in really awesome places, apart from Queenstown. Queenstown's pretty busy these days. When you come back, whenever that is, yeah. um, you'll be blown away by how big Queenstown's got. Really? It is going places. It's going oh. forward. So it's... Uh... COVID didn't slow it down. Oh, God. Yeah, well, uh, they made up for all the loss of international tourism with all the local tourism because no one could mm. leave, so everyone's just doing everything local. Yeah. And there's still plenty of work there because there was there's all these build, you know, hotels and um, they're putting in a new gondola, which is going to be massive. So there's a ton of work going on and it was kind of convenient to have the people not there for a while. Yes. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. All things work out, don't they? Yeah, very good. Now, uh, can you give us a little background on uh, the story that you're going to tell us today? Well, I feel like over the last couple of weeks, uh, the trend has been to tell two stories in one. And uh, I don't want to disappoint anyone. So um, I'm going to tell two stories in one again. Fantastic. And uh, both of these experiences, uh, some people may question you know, why do you keep doing it? Uh, but as we've found out many, many times, uh, when things get interesting, I've heard the, uh, in my head so many times now, it just happens anyway. Even when I'm writing it now, I hear that. Um, there's, there's still that, like, getting through it and having that experience, which is just, it becomes so addictive. It's so cool. So, um all right, well, so it's I'm all about too much more. So it's all about the challenge and overcoming the challenge. That's right. That all right. right, well, without further ado, Mark, take us on a mesh. All right, so when I first started working on the Rootburn track, I was introduced to a part of the country that I've now really fallen in love with. Um, now, of course, the Rootburn track, it starts way over in Fiordland, near Tiano, where I live now, but it does end up at the northern end of uh, Lake... Oh boy, this is... I've been stung for this word for so many times now, so I've got to make sure I say it. Waka Tipu. Hey! Ah, yes, excellent. 
so at the northern end there you've got some pretty cool country and that's where the track ends and then you go to a little town known as Glen Orkey. It's a small village which is growing bigger as the time goes on, much like Queenstown, uh, surrounded by beauty and it's only just down the road from there you'll find the Whakaare uh, Conservation Park or Conservation Area and this area it was actually a mining area and they were mining shelite up there so a material used to harden steel and you've got all of these huts still remaining which now serve as shelters for hikers uh, and also just a little taste of the past for uh, people who might not know that back in the day things weren't as easy as they are now um, now there's all these bulldozed tracks that go everywhere because they used to take tractors and whatnot into this area and so that makes the walking very easy so there's not many points where it's a narrow path it's usually walking uh, on a road so to speak uh, but with that being said some of these roads blow your mind knowing that there is a bulldozer driver who's pushed the uh, debris out of the way and they've just had no issues with the massive drops that are around them because these guys are way near the tops of the mountains and that's where they were mining the uh, the shelite or the tungsten. Uh, now, the first time I went to the area, I didn't have much of a clue of what was going on. I just heard that it was very good. And I wanted to start with quite an easy hike. And so I picked the Heather Jock Hut. Uh, and the Heather Jock Hut is a pretty small hut. You could almost stretch out and touch each wall. It's that small, but it's all you need really. It's got a little water tank out the back and then a long drop toilet, which has some of the best backing to it that I've ever seen. And I've taken some great photos of a toilet because the mountains behind it are so spectacular. <laughs> Not many times you can say a toilet is very spectacular, but the one up at the Heather Jock Hut definitely is. Now, on this journey, the first journey that I went on, it was a nice sunny day when I began. And I began by hiking up and around to get to the hut. Now you've got two options. You can go down and cross a river, um, or you can go up and around and you get to a higher point in the river where it's a lot easier to cross. So on my way in, I went the higher way. And when you go the higher way, you get to a certain point where there's a shed with an old Massey Ferguson tractor in it. And that's a real eye-opener that uh, people used to work here. And man, the work must have been tough. Um, but obviously, sheer light, tungsten, it was worth it. And it was definitely worth it during World War One and World War II uh, for a hardened steel. And if you're building a tank, you want it to have the hardest steel possible. Oh. Uh, so I got up to the hut and it was a really epic evening. Now from the hut, you're at about 1300 meters and you're looking down at the Dart River. And then on the other side of the Dart River are some of the mountains that you would see if you did the root burn track. So some of the coolest mountains found at the top of Lake Waka Tipu. Well done. And, <laughs> thank you. and uh, I had a pretty cool night. Now, back in the day, and it's happened a few times and a few tales have been told about how I was really just bad at checking the weather. So, I had seen in the news that there was rain for Queenstown and so I kind of figured well you know there's rain for Queenstown in the afternoon the following day that must mean there's rain for that area in the afternoon the following day but there is a massive difference in the climate of Glen Orkey and the climate of Queenstown. Glen Orkey gets a lot more rain and then if you elevate yourself, you're getting into more rainy territory again. Huh. Um, so I probably should have checked the weather. But uh, at this stage of the journey, no worries whatsoever. Had a really awesome sunset where I'm looking out to the west and you've got these big jagged mountains, which over time they become a silhouette with a burning orange of the setting sun behind it. So a very spectacular view. And you do think back to the days of the, the guys working up there. And you would have had people up there just finished the day, smashing away at the mines. And that's what they're looking at each night when they go home. So 
it's pretty cool, pretty good spot. Now, I was thinking about sleeping outside, but just before I went to bed, there was a bit of a gust of wind, so I thought, no, I better sleep inside. And I dragged myself in to my sleeping bag and closed my eyes. Now, it was only a couple of hours later when I woke up very suddenly to a bit of a shuddering noise. And I quickly worked out what it was because it was the gusts of wind from the approaching storm. Now, you could hear, and it was almost like I could picture, knowing the, the layout of the area, where these gusts were. And it was like a single beam rumbling its way towards you. And I would have time to sort of prepare myself, but it's not like I could brace myself because I was in the hut and I had to keep telling myself, this hut has been here for a very long time. <laughs> so it would have been putting up with this sort of wind. But it is really hard to think that when the whole place is shuddering and you swear that with each gust, it's going to pop the windows out. Um, so it wasn't much of a... Uh, well, no, I didn't really get much of a, a good night's sleep, so to speak. And it was about 4 a.m. that it just suddenly went silent, and that's because the rain had arrived. Had you, so, uh, had, you had, a, 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 had you had a couple of cups of tea or anything? Like, or? I, would have, I definitely would have had um, the odd cup of tea while I sat out watching that sunset. Just yeah, that would make it a little scarier. Yeah. Ooh, so, good fun. Yeah, I'm sitting there, and I know now, okay, it's raining, the wind stopped, I'm through it, that's cool. Um, but of course, rain is water, and I've got that river to cross. But of course, this is way back in the day when I just started, and I didn't think that way. So I wait until the sun comes right up. Well, the sun comes right up. The sun did not come right up. I wait until it gets light, and I slowly pack up, have some breakfast, and then bid farewell. Now, this is one of these storms where you open the door, you walk for 10 minutes, and you're soaked to the bone anyway. What's the point in Gore-Tex? But uh, it's still fun. It really is. Um, so I continued on, and I went down to the lower route. And the lower route is where you have to cross more of a river. And she was flowing quite strongly. So I stepped into it. And the first step was okay, the second step was okay. The third step, it really swung me, and it was a real frightening, uh-oh. But I, you can't stop when you're in a river. The worst thing you can do is stop. You've just got to pick a point to get to and just go for it. And for a brief second, I almost stopped. And it's lucky I didn't, because if I did, I'm pretty sure I would have got swung around backwards and was thrown onto my pack and then off I go wow. on a journey down the river but I managed to sort of push through and it was a real roll. Rivers are very scary and it's lucky I found out that way which was a little bit of risk but I'm sure if I did end up falling in I wouldn't have perished. I would have been pretty angry uh, <laughs> and pretty wet but um, I don't think I would have come to my fate but uh yeah, it was a real good eye-opener, and ever since, as told in the last story, I treat rivers with respect because you just don't want to become another casualty. Um, so after crossing that, I sort of counted my blessings and then carried on and uh, finished my adventure to the Heather Jock. Now, of course, got some secondary fun there because I'm getting rained on. I was spending a night in a hut, which I thought was going to get blown off the mountain, um, but... In the end, I enjoyed myself because I survived to tell the tale and I got that amazing sunset. I mean, anything to see that sunset, I'll put up with walking in some rain because um, it is very, very good stuff. Mm. The thing about walking in rain is that uh, you just got to accept that you're going to be wet. And as soon as you accept that you're wet, you're fine. Absolutely. And that's with some of the clients I've had on, especially on the Milford, because the Milford seems to be the first big walk for a lot of people, they, they just can't understand, even when their feet are now totally wet, that you know, just walk through the water. 
it's it's not gonna hurt you <laughs> like you can only get so wet yeah you can't get any wetter once you're soaked you're soaked so yeah deal <laughs> right so that was the first entry uh into my adventures in Whakaare or the Richardson Mountains um, is the Pakiha name given to the area uh, but I've always gone with Whakaare because um, the area is so cool with Māori history mm-hmm. um, because you've got the greenstone fields up there and you've got the greenstone valley which was the access uh, to the Holyford in the west coast so we'll stick with the Māori name I think for now. Mm. Um, now my second adventure was to the other side of the... It's a very small place, but there's some pretty big mountains in this area. And my second adventure was off to the other side. Now, you start in the same place, and you do cross the same river, but you have to drop down to an even lower point. And it can be a little bit demoralizing when you're going down with the look, or the, uh, sorry, the sight of the track you have to go up again getting ever bigger because of how you're going down to the base or the valley floor. Um, This was a big thing in Nepal. Now, we'll talk a lot about my Nepal stuff in another episode, Uh, but you see these places you need to get to, and as the crow flies, it'll probably be a 20-minute walk. But you got to go down, and then you got to go up. And to get to the Macintosh hut, there's a lot of up. Now, this one is the highest altitude of the huts in the area, and it sits around 1,500 metres. But before you get there, you've got to drop down this ravine, and I believe you go around about 600 metres at the ravine, so you're looking at about a 900 metre or so climb up the other side. Um, So you've got to take your time on that other side. Not hard hiking, because you're on these bulldozed trails, but... It's just grueling. So you're going down, but you're looking at what you're going to have to climb back you up see once exactly you've gone down. You have to go. Oh. Yeah. So you see the horrible part getting closer and closer and closer as you're going down. And it's getting bigger. Like for those who don't like walking uphill, man, just crushing to the soul because you are going, you just want to jump across, but you can't jump that far, obviously. So, um, yeah, you're going further and further, and then eventually you see this river, and you're like, ah, oh, great, the bottom. And then you know you've got all this up to go. Makes you um, think, why didn't someone build a bloody bridge? <laughs> well, that's it. Um, yeah. But this is all part of it. Um, you, you do hiking to stay fit, and when you're fit, you've got a healthy mind as well. So there's so many aspects to hiking and staying fit. Um, and, yeah, me, I'm not a runner or anything like that so i'm really happy that i've got this this side hobby this passion of mine that keeps me fit as well Mm. which is really good which has been really hard with the injury like missing out on all of that exercise but we're getting back there we're we're on the mend yeah yeah Uh, Yeah. so anyway plodding my way up this hill and the entire time my plan is not to just get to the hut and stay there because there's another mountain behind it that I want to climb and I've seen in the uh, guidebooks it's quite an easy climb but a really commanding view and that's Black Peak so eventually I get up to this hut Macintosh hut amazing views and everything and I chuck down my main pack with my sleeping bag and my food and everything in it and I get a little small pack which I had with me and I just put the essentials in there first aid kit and a little bit of food and then off I go following these trails And these trails are all over the mountainside. Um, It's really amazing. You can just see that they would have gone to a certain point. No, no sheet light there. Gone to another point. No, no sheet light there. And then you can see they've got to a point where they've dug into the mountain a bit. So there's a bit of a maze. But I'm in this beautiful blue sky day. And there's just no navigational issues whatsoever. So I push on and then I eventually gets to where I leave the track and get onto the main ridge and the main ridge isn't that hard to follow um, just rocky and eventually I arrive at the top and it's now late in the afternoon because it's taken me so long to get to the hut and then to push on to get to the peak but man I will never ever forget just what I was seeing when I was up there 
because I was watching the same sort of colors in the sky that I saw at the Heather Jock Hut, but I'm on the summit of a mountain and I can really understand that whole summit fever thing. This was mm. a real eye-opener to it because I stayed way longer than I should have at the top, taking photos, looking around and everything. And then eventually I was like, oh, time to go. And as I'm going back, I'm getting these great sunset photos. And then I'm thinking, hang on, I've still got quite a distance to go to the hut. <laughs> and it's getting darker and darker. It sounds like another situation, doesn't it, Cam? <laughs> so I keep going, and then it gets to the point where it's like, right, it is now pitch black. Um, I'm going to need some assistance here. I reach into my bag. Where is my head torch? And then I remember I didn't bring that bag with me when I dropped off all my stuff. So now I'm on the side of a mountain between the summit that I just climbed and the hut that is my refuge. And it's dark, completely dark. And I'm thinking, right, okay. Don't panic. Everything's okay. You're still fine. You're not that cold. You've got spare clothes and everything. A little bit of food with you. You're on the right track, aren't you? So just follow this track and you'll end up back at the hut. Sweet as. And then I just sort of laughed about it and carried on in the dark. And I kept going. I kept going. And then I got to this sign. And I looked at it and it was a sign for a long gully saddle. And then I thought, hang on. This is a sign I saw 20 minutes before I got to the hut. So I'd actually ended up walking past where the hut was. I was just below it. And now I've ended up way back down the track, sort of heading back the direction huh. of where I'd come from. So I was lucky that I saw that. Um, and then from there, I could follow the orange markers that led back up to the hut. And so by the time I got up to the hut, it's now like 11 o'clock at night. Oh. And I'd been going since about eight o'clock in the morning. And it was one of those things like we did where you just, whatever food I could find, I think it was just muesli bars, I sort of force it down and I'm going to sleep as I'm getting into my sleeping bag. Yeah. Uh, I love that so, feeling yeah. of, of just being so tired. You're falling asleep as you get into it. Yeah. I was knackered. Um, so the next day I wake up to the sound of a possum and it's like, how <laughs> it just shows some of these introduced pests are now like super pests because we've got rabbits that are way up into the upper reaches of fjordland now and you've got possums that can live at 1500 meters above sea level it's unbelievable um, but the possum did wake me up and sort of gave me idea that i've got to get going because i still have quite a fair way to go to get home and to get home you can actually make it a loop by adding in another small mountain um, so off I go and there's one particular part after the long gully saddle which is what I came across in the darkness where you look at this bulldoze zigzag and you just think that's just nerves of steel because it's so steep either side I mean long gully saddle is a saddle it has drops either side of it and a guy was in a digger <laughs> just pushing away carving in that track and it's just really really cool um, and incredibly brave and so I followed that track till it petered out and then you just follow the ridge line which eventually takes you back down to the side of the road which you follow back to the car park and uh, you've done your massive loop wow. now that whole thing uh, some people do up to the hut and back again in a day for like a, a mountain marathon challenge i suppose um but my personal opinion when it's all said and done i would three day the thing hmm. so i would hike to the hut stop i would spend the next day climbing the mountain exploring back to the hut stop then walk out it would just make it so much more enjoyable as far as time goes um and i do want to go back there and i know that these days i'm definitely a lot slower than what i used to be so um, <laughs> you know, i'm going I'm to take three days for sure well it's meant to be a vacation isn't it <laughs> absolutely absolutely oh very good 
Oh, that was a good one. So uh, another story in theme about uh, difficulties, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, those are and always like, the most interesting stories when there's a difficulty. It's, and not, I, I guess because it hasn't ever happened, I don't know what it would be like. But like there's been situations where panicking and getting really frustrated would easily have you know felt like it would have helped but then it wouldn't have hmm. it's just hmm. energy that you need to solve the interesting situation you find yourself in <laughs> stop milking the interesting <laughs> <laughs> it just happens so often though that's the thing oh, one day i'll have a story where it's like i walked to the hut i stopped and then i walked back again Nothing happened. That's my story. <laughs> That's once we're at like episode three hundred and twenty. It's just yeah, a se- it's just a series of, and uh, so then I went out for a walk, and uh, then I came back. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like I'm now thinking, and this is maybe a little bit of um, clickbait slash getting a uh, listener to come back again. There's more. <laughs> oh yes, there are more interesting situations to talk about. <laughs> Uh, but we'll leave it at those two stories, I think, Cam. Oh, very good. Very good. Now, it's uh, time for my favorite segment. Uh, it is Talking to Rayo with Mark and Cam. All right. Okay. Excellent. You always have to have that last little sting at the end, don't you? Just to, just, just to mess me up. <laughs> now, just for our first-time listeners, uh, we'll explain the segment. Uh, I will be spelling a Treo Māori word for uh, Mark, who will then attempt to pronounce it with uh, correct Māori pronunciation. Uh, we'll then be following that up with the uh, what we'll call the more traditional Pākehā uh, pronunciation, or incorrect pronunciation, <laughs> uh, followed by me pronouncing the uh, confused North American pronunciation. Uh, just a bit of fun that we like to have here on uh, Talking to Rayo. So may I just, uh, just jump in there, Cam, and be the one that says, you know, if you're a little bit sensitive <laughs> and if you get offended easily, then maybe just skip ahead to the end. I mean, we're not trying to hurt anyone's feelings or anything. We're just having fun, aren't we? That's right. We're just we're laughing about the interesting cultural differences between the different cultures that we represent the uh the New Zealand European or Pakiha, uh the Maori and of course uh North America represented by me being here in Canada. Yep. Now, and as noted with um with Waka Tipu, like I you know, I, I work as a guide and I've got things wrong many a times. So it's good to learn because I have learnt from doing this new thing. So um it's uh, learning. Yay. All right. Yeah, Personal growth. Thank you, Mr Clark. <laughs> that's why we become teachers all right all right now mark your word this week is p o u n a m u all righty folks so that there is new zealand greenstone or pornamu Oh, well done. Another 10 out of 10. Um, man, good job. Little peek behind the curtain. I was actually not 100% sure how to pronounce the P-O-U uh, because it's not poo and it's not po, but you pronounce both of them, but you kind of run it together. And uh, you actually pronounce that way better than what I was trying to when I was practicing. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, hats, hats off to you. Yes, uh, just for our listeners at home, uh, Ponamu, uh, New Zealand Greenstone, uh, Nephrite or Jade uh, for those listening at home. Very um, important cultural significance to the uh, Māori people. It's actually what uh, the South Island's uh, Māori name is actually translates as, uh, what is it? It translates as where the Greenstone is. Or the place of the green stone. The place of the, the green, of the green stone. Yeah, yeah, to Punamu. Because uh, most of the North Island tribes, this is where they would come to get it, right? Absolutely, yep. And um, it's been found 
in other Polynesian islands, which means it's a traded item amongst the different peoples as opposed to just in Aotearoa as well. So Wait, so there were there were Polynesian like traders like before the white so people showed up. And every, there's and that's why I get really annoyed from a guide's point of view with a lot of the things we do when we're guiding, when we just go and the early Maori were here from yay to yay and then Cook showed up, da 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 and then all the detail starts. And it's like, man, there's there's probably a few things that happen in that 600 years you've just well, like grazed over top of. That's so interesting so, because we think of, um, you know, I always think of the Polynesians got to New Zealand in 1200 AD and then they just, they got there and they stayed there. But like... There was, there was great travelers, which I've only just recently learned. Yeah, there would, have, there would have been waves of migration. So it, it's really interesting mm. to think of like who showed up in New Zealand and traded with the Polynesians before the white people did. Like, because the the New Zealand, the Maori, they came from Polynesia. So there must have been mm. people that, like, knew that their kids sailed off into the sunset and maybe they can find them. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. I uh, I actually mm. teach uh, Polynesian migration to my, uh, my students oh, in social awesome. studies class. Awesome. Yeah, the Polynesians had traveled a... Uh, if you look at the distances that the Polynesians traveled and migrated through it's something ridiculous something like two to three thousand square miles of ocean with thousands upon thousands of islands like it's an area larger than than all like the land-based migration that people have done and and they did it without compasses they did it without metal Mm. it's it's incredible Mm. absolutely incredible yeah yeah, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll go into my little rant on Polynesian migration on another episode of Research Corner. That's yeah. well, fascinating. I mean, and to really, really round things all up here, just picture a uh, cyclone, hurricane, uh, typhoon, typhoon, in a open walker. Like, yeah. I mean, it's like whoa! <laughs> You've yeah. got nowhere to go, nowhere to hide. I mean. Just super tough, nuggety people to travel so far, and, and just, the um, and the yeah. knowledge that they needed to do it all passed mm. down orally. Orally, no written language. Yeah, there was a guy whose job it was to memorize star patterns. That was his job. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So cool. Really, really cool. So cool. Awesome. Think about that, kids. When you're just looking at your phone mindlessly. Yeah, someone, someone's job, your role in our tribe is to remember star patterns. Please don't screw it up. <laughs> mm. Mm. Don't get that little shiny one there mixed up with that little shiny one there. Yeah. All right. Well, very good. Good episode, I think, uh, pretty mm. much, eh? Mm. Yeah. Wow. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's about it here for uh, Bushwhacked, Not the Restless. Um, now, now um, Cam, I just have to jump in because we've got this far and it hasn't really been said Okay. Yet, and for uh, for those listeners who have you know were paying attention to the last episode, you're probably wondering where my cousin is. Uh, <laughs> now, of course, me and Cam have discussed this on previous episodes. Really, couldn't get any further away from each other if we tried. We might be able to, you know, you go to the North Pole and I go to the South Pole, but I don't think it would be any further away in distance. <laughs> um, so, organising us two, and then along with another person as well is proving to be slightly more difficult than we first thought. Uh, but it will happen, folks. It will happen. But we're just going to stop promising it's going to happen the next episode, because if it doesn't, then we we feel guilty. Because <laughs> everyone's desperate to meet your cousin. <laughs> Absolutely. Or hear him. Hear his amazing stories. And amazing they are. I am actually looking forward to hearing a, hearing a, a, a new story. Yeah, that'll be interesting. There's someone else talking. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I understand. I understand. Uh, Now, before we go, uh, also, massive thank you for all the people that have bought books. We've sold quite a few books. And the books now have a confirmed purpose. um, As, of course, we're going to Nepal in October. And there's actually a school 
and a library which we are going to build. Now, I'm going to talk more about that on the next episode, um, but there is a, a definite, this is why we're going, and uh, if you want to learn more about that, either visit nzhikes.co.nz or activeheartsfoundation.org, and you'll learn all about this. We're, um, we're having a charity trek, which is going to happen at the end of October, and my parents are going to come along as well, which is going to be awesome to have them there. And it's all for this school. So watch this space. I'll explain more about it. If you want a book, head to the website, of course. They're there. They're selling. And they won't be there forever. So mm. keep that in mind. Now, the other way that you can get your uh, hot little hands on a book, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, if you give us a five-star review, send us mm -hmm. proof of that five-star review, and you go into the draw to uh, win one of those lovely books as well. You will get a one in ten chance of winning a book. And uh, all you got to do is review. Pretty easy. Now, I don't know if you saw how happy uh, our last winner was, Mr. Bevan Haywood. Uh, but he was pretty happy. Um, I'm not going to lie. The pictures he sent to me, I could see the happiness in his face for sure. Now, did you post those pictures? I did indeed, yep. Okay, excellent. So if you want to see how happy Bevan is reading his book... I think you should go, go, go take a look. nzhikes.co.nz, Facebook slash nzhikes, Instagram.com slash nzhikes.co.nz. Uh, of course, the Gmail, bushwhack, not the wrestlers at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, at bushwhackpod, hashtag on a mish, hashtag nzhikes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, a few more in there. Yeah, I'm not going to go over them. We're pretty, we're pretty lazy at the old self promotion here, but that's fine. The We've done enough by the, this stage. The podcast's quality should stand on its own, as exactly. long as you're not listening to episode three. Yeah. Move <laughs> <laughs> on. All right. Well, look, this has been fantastic. My name's Cameron Clark. This has been Bushwhacked, not the wrestlers. And uh, goodbye to you all. Kia ora, folks. Kakite.